Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 12. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by ESPN sideline reporter Molly McGrath, WWE superstar and former Florida Gator Thaddeus Ballard, you know him as Titus O'Neill, and Quick Lane Bowl Executive Director Brad Michaels. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest is currently a sideline reporter for ESPN and ABC's college football games, as well as college basketball. She regularly hosts college football live and college basketball live on ESPN. Please welcome to the show, Molly McGrath. Molly, thanks for joining us. Nick, thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you again. We're in the thick of it. The most important games in November. It's been so exciting. So can't wait to talk some ball with you. Absolutely. This is, it gets more exciting every week from this point forward. But let's let, let's go back a little bit. You you were captain of the cheerleading team at Boston College and got the chance to go to a couple bowl games with the football team. So you know firsthand what that trip means to the your fellow cheerleaders, the band, and so many other people. Can you put into words what a bowl trip means to the entire college community? Yeah, it's an exclamation point on the season. And the years that we made a bowl game at Boston College. It was so exciting and something that everyone looked forward to. The football team, the cheerleading program, the band, all of our families would travel and all of our holidays kind of revolved around bowl season. And the years that, you know, we didn't make a bowl and that BC struggled, it was kind of heartbreaking. And it felt like the year ended, but it wasn't fully finished. Um, So it was really, really special. And I remember in 2011, my senior year, when I was captain, we were at the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl in San Francisco, and the game was on the field at AT&T Park where the Giants play. And I grew up outside of San Francisco as a huge diehard Giants fan. And the fact that the bowl game was being played in my hometown was so special. And it was something that kind of put an exclamation point on my career. And I actually remember you wouldn't do this nowadays, especially after COVID, but I had a terrible flu that game. I was kind of throwing up in a trash can before the game even started, but nothing was keeping me off the field because it was a career moment for me to be able to be on the field as a senior during a bowl game. And it was one of the most um, special memories that I have of my time at Boston College. So Bowl games mean a lot to the people in the community. And when you're not able to make a bowl game, it, it kind of changes the feel of the end of the season. For sure. Now, you mentioned you growing up in the Bay Area in California, you probably could not have gone to a school farther away and still been in the United States. What, what drew you to Boston College? Yeah, to my mom's dismay, I moved very far away. Um, but You know, Boston College was the only school I really applied to and was interested in outside of the state of California. I was looking at all California schools and the UC system and schools like Stanford. And um, I I was really interested in staying in California. And my mom actually convinced me, apply to Boston College. It's a really good school. Uh, It's a Jesuit university. And I went to a Jesuit high school in San Francisco. So she said, I think that um, you'll like the academics and it'll be a good transition for you. So I applied thinking, okay, whatever, I probably won't get in and I won't even consider it. But then when I got in, um, we went on a trip there and took a tour of Boston College. My brother was going to school back east as well. He went to school in New Jersey uh, at Princeton. So we did a lot of back and forth 
between the coasts. And when we visited Boston College, I remember standing atop the million dollar staircase overlooking the rest of campus. And I looked at my mom and I said, I have to go here. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I just had this gut feeling that brought me there. And I absolutely fell in love with Boston. I met my husband in Boston. Um, It's where I started my career and starting in the Boston sports media absolutely changed my career. So everything, all the dominoes fell after that. And it was probably the best decision I've made in my life was moving to Boston. Well, you know, San Francisco and and Boston, while maybe not similar, they're both, you know, world-class cities, you know, and I I could, I could see you kind of being drawn to that coming from, coming from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. What's it like to work the sidelines of a college football game? I know you have to stay on your toes for, for injuries and other breaking news that, that happened that the rest of the world doesn't know about. And you kind of, kind of bring it to light. What's your secret to staying on top of things as they happen? Being on the sidelines is all about reacting. It's all about um, being aware of everything going on around you, of the bench area, but also being aware of the broadcast and the themes that the booth is talking about. And you kind of listen to that and follow your gut and your instincts as to where to go. Um, Because getting the best stories and the best scoops from the sidelines is kind of all luck and where you're standing. You can have something incredible happen right in front of you. The quarterback can be yelling at his offensive line and trying to rally his team. And you can overhear that incredible speech. And then there's a momentum changing play after that. And you can give that color and that insight. But that's if you happen to be standing there. If you're on the other side, you miss something like that. So for me, it's about following the momentum of the game. And that is uh, gut. You can feel it sometimes on the sidelines. If a team is getting hot, if a team is motivated or if a team is down, you can feel that too. And also listening to your booth and and knowing the themes of the game and what they're talking about, what they think is important because you want to add to what their discussion is. Um, So it's all about listening and kind of feeling things out. And after, you know, over a decade of doing it, I'm able to feel and have an instinct on where to stand and where to get the best stories, but it takes a lot of time to get there. Well, you've, you've, you seem to have mastered it. You do a great job at, at Amali. Uh, <laughs> you've been with ESPN now for a few years. You were at Fox before that. Uh, you mentioned your, your bowl game experience as a, as a student at Boston college. Uh, but you've also worked many bowl games now as a professional orange bowl, Outback bowl, Texas bowl, Las Vegas bowl. I'm, I'm sure there are others. You also got a chance to work the CFP national championship game in Indianapolis last year. What's been your favorite experience at a bowl game as a, as a professional? It would be hard for me not to mention the Cotton Bowl last year, my first semifinal game that I worked for ESPN for a television broadcast. That was really special and a game where afterwards I was hosting the trophy ceremony. So that was one of those pinch me moments. I can't believe I'm here. This is kind of what I've been working towards in my career. So that was really special working the Cotton Bowl last year. But one that really stands out to me was the 2017 Orange Bowl. And that was, you know, I was on um, kind of a lower crew with ESPN trying to fight my way up in the ranks. And they needed a sideline reporter uh, for the group of Steve Levy, Brian Greasy and Todd McShay. They wanted to add another sideline reporter for injury updates. And um, it was my first real opportunity with a big crew and doing a really big game. And um, I will never forget that opportunity. It kind of felt like a, a break to me, a little bit of a big break at ESPN because I was able to 
show that I was capable of working on that kind of stage with that kind of talent, guys like Steve Levy, who's one of the best, as you know. Um, and that eventually two seasons later led to me working with them as my full-time crew because I impressed them when I worked with them during the Orange Bowl. So that 2017 Orange Bowl was one of my first moments where I felt like I had made it and like my hard work was paying off at ESPN. So that one's really special to me as well. Well, you've certainly worked with some of the best at ESPN. You mentioned Steve Levy, you know, Sean McDonough is a good friend of mine. You've worked with Todd mm -hmm. Blackledge, Mark Jones, list goes on. Uh, they're all real pros. Uh, yeah. Who are some of your favorites to work with and why? And are there any people in particular that were mentors of yours in broadcasting as, as your career has evolved? They're all amazing. I mean, everyone that I've worked with at ESPN has been so talented. I feel like the talent at ESPN is just the best of the best. Um, I started at ESPN working with Adam Amin, and he became a very close friend of mine. He's now with Fox Sports. He's really talented, and he's someone who we kind of grew together, so that was really special. Um, Steve Levy, I actually worked for as a production assistant at ESPN. I used to print his scripts for him for SportsCenter. And so working with him was surreal because he's someone I used to watch on my TV every night. And he's this larger than life personality. And then I got to call games with him. And he's the first play-by-play uh, -play man who looked at me and said, Molly, you make our broadcast better. You make us better. And um you don't always hear that as a sideline reporter. It can be a thankless job. So he's the first person who made me feel really important, which I think um, is invaluable. And then now I work with Sean McDonough, who's an incredible mentor. He is, I think, the best there is. The way that he goes about his day-to-day, -day, his attention to detail and kind of perfectionism is amazing. And the way that he, um, the way that he prepares even now as he is so veteran in his career, he takes every game so seriously. I have learned a ton from him in how to conduct myself day to day, how to move, like motivate myself to keep working very hard. So I'm really blessed now to work with someone like Sean because he truly is one of the best. So I've been very lucky to work with incredible people at ESPN. How do you feel this college football season shaping up as we come down the stretch? Uh, it, it's certainly, certainly going to be exciting. Uh, Everybody can't wait to see what the CFP matchups are going to be, but even the rest of bowl season, so many teams are going to be going to so many unique locations. What, what are you, what are you looking forward to seeing? Um, I think the easiest answer is the top four, like who is going to be the best of the best. And I'm covering Georgia this week at Mississippi state. They're now the number one team in the country. I'm interested to see if they can stay there. And it'll be really interesting to see who ends up in the SEC championship game, because if it's Georgia and LSU and LSU finds a way to beat Georgia, then they could both make it. So there are so many different scenarios. And this has been a season where you truly don't know what's going to happen. You know, we saw that last week with teams like Clemson losing um, and Alabama losing. You never know who's going to sneak into the playoff picture or sneak into a New Year's Six Bowl. And that changes the relevancy of the program. It changes recruiting. It changes, um, you know, just having that kind of national attention is so huge for, for these teams. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out and who the best teams are at the end of the season. And this, this year has already proven that you truly never know what's going to happen. And, and I think that's the most exciting part about college football. For sure.
Molly, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you do a, such a great job on TV. You're such a pleasure to watch every Saturday and, and you're so easy to talk to. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. Enjoy the rest of the season. We're going to take a short break and be right back with WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. Stay with us. Vapor Apparel has all your game day essentials. From eco-friendly lightweight sun protection shirts and hoodies to cozy joggers and Sherpa fleece pullovers, Vapor has the layers you need to get outside and stay out longer. Plus, as Bowl Season's official apparel sponsor, they're creating limited edition shirts for bowl-bound teams made with 100% reprieve fiber from recycled water bottles. Want to celebrate your team's bowl bid with official bowl-bound gear? Get yours and explore more at bowlseason.com. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is a WWE global ambassador and has been described by the company as one of the most philanthropic superstars in WWE history. A graduate of the University of Florida, where he played defensive line for the Gators and head coach Steve Spurrier. Most people know him as Titus O'Neill, but we're going to use his real name and welcome him to the show as Thaddeus Ballard. Thad, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You've uh, obviously had quite the career. You, you know, played in college football at Florida at a high level. You played professionally in the Arena League, professional wrestler with the WWE. You're an inspirational and motivational speaker. Tell me, what has this incredible life been like for you over the last 25 years? I know it wasn't always that great. Yeah, over the last 25 years, it's definitely been, uh, um, you know, somebody would say a storybook ending, but it's continuing to get better and better. And, uh, you know, based on how I was conceived, you know, early on, my mother having me via rape, but, you know, uh, being raped at 11 and having me at 12. Uh, the odds stacked against me, person being labeled a kid, will be dead or in jail by the time I was 16. And believing that for a greater part of your, my young adult life, uh, to being able to be put in a situation at the Florida Shared Boys Ranch, uh, which ultimately gave me an opportunity to have structure, discipline, and people around me that love me and that believed in me. And, uh, and I get a chance to live, you know, a, a fairy tale, you know, in the sense of a life, uh, traveling all over the world. There's no place I've ever never been i just came back from saudi arabia uh, again this is my eighth trip there uh for a wwe um uh, pay-per-view premium live event and i went to a place called the edge of the world and uh it used to be an ocean and it's just it's like the grand canyon uh times a thousand you know it's just it's just one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in my life so to, you know, go from now I'm sitting at home in Tampa, Florida. I went from Saudi Arabia, uh, landed in Tampa on Sunday, jumped right back on a plane, went to Monday night football game versus the Ravens. And now I'm back in Tampa here on Wednesday and they'll be leaving back out on the plane on Friday. So um, a whirlwind life, uh, but a very good life. No one could have ever told me at a young age that I'll be an author of a book and, uh, which is in the background here. There's no such thing as a bad kid and uh, getting ready to work on my next book. And nobody ever told me I'd be a, uh, a, a soon to be movie star, uh, but that's on the horizon. And nobody definitely would have never told me I would have been a WWE hall of famer as a warrior award winner. So uh, college graduate from the university of Florida, proud Gator, um, you know, in all kinds of weather. And uh, you know, I try to take every, life experience that I've had the opportunity to get because of the love and support of others investing in me when they had nothing to gain in return 
and try to duplicate that by investing in other people, investing in my community, investing and giving back, um, not just with my resources, but with my time. Well, you've you've certainly uh, earned all that good fortune. You deserve it, and we're going to talk a little bit more about you you giving back a little bit later. You mentioned playing at Florida. Your your eyes kind of lit up when you when you mentioned that you played for Steve Spurrier from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand. What was it like to play under that Gator legend, and what did you take from him as a coach and a man? Uh, as a as a coach and a man, he was everything from the time I he was recruiting me in high school until the time I graduated. I love people that love to compete. I love people that uh, are some, in some cases deemed as arrogant, but they really are just confident in what they can do. Um, you'll never see Coach Spurrier attempt many things that he doesn't think he can be successful in. And, uh, um, you know, he he wasn't like any other coach I've ever had. You know, he, he uh, you know, he, he's just, uh, he's funny. He knew how to needle the, oppose, the opponent, the opponents, especially those that were orange and white, and I'm pretty sure he probably, even though he hasn't coached in years, he probably has something to say about University of Tennessee losing to Alabama, I mean, or to Georgia here recently. And um, uh, just a, a real witty guy, always just, you know, wanted, expected everybody to be great human beings, be great people, and hopefully get the best out of each and every player. And uh, the life lesson I've learned from him is that exactly that, try to get the best out of every person on your team or in your community or around you uh, with the end result being that you, you want to win. You want to make transformational change. If it's community work, uh, you want to do things that people say can't be done and you want to lead people to championships. And those championships can be across the graduation stage, high school graduation stage, a college graduation stage, or that championship can be helping someone get a new car or new keys to a home, etc. cetera. And, uh, you only can do that by, um, you know, taking an approach of like, regardless of someone's political affiliation, sexual orientation, uh, you know, race, creed, etc. Just treat human beings like human beings. You know, everybody makes up this team called humanity. Uh, some people really suck at it. And then some people are really great at it. And uh, fortunately, those that are really great at it understand that even those that aren't so great at it. You have to work with them in order to get achieve the common goal, which is to move and push people forward. When you were at Florida, not only did you play for the Gators, you were elected student body vice president in 2000. People always talk about leadership and is it something that's learned or something you're born with? It seems like leadership comes natural to you. You know, who are your mentors uh, at a young age? And then certainly as you got older, that instilled this trait in you. Uh, well, you know, from a, personal standpoint, it would be, you know, Mr. Blaylock, who was a, a man who I called dad. Um, I never had a dad growing up, but he was superintendent of schools, kind of took me under his wing and taught me what it meant to be a man uh, and be a leader. You know, he's the first African-American superintendent to be elected in two different counties in the state of Florida history. Uh, he led um, a great school district for the years that he was uh, superintendent. And I watched him also, he had to get elected. He wasn't appointed. And I watched him tell people, you know, that would come up to him because it was Live Oak, Florida. So there were definitely some backwards thinking people. They were good people, but they were there very much so uh, backwards thinking in regards to, you know, not wanting to uh, be 
known as the person that openly endorsed and helped African American get into one of the highest leadership positions in the county. And, uh, you know, he would uh, respectfully decline their monetary donation and respectfully decline their support because he said, if you can't support me openly, that's not really support. And, uh, you know, I feel the, the same way, you know, you talk about me being elected to student body vice president. Uh, I'm not a political person at all. And uh, I've been known to tell it like it is and, and not give a shit about what the response is going to be from folks that oppose the truth, you know, and, um, you know, I, last night I, I went and uh, helped celebrate one of my good friends, Ashley Moody, uh, winning her term, um, her, her race uh, for um, Attorney General of the state of Florida. Ashley Moody helped me get elected as vice president of student government. She worked for me um, in college. And, uh, you know, now to see her obviously successful uh, in her own right, I know her personally. Uh, so when people say, you know, well, she's a Republican, and I don't really care about Republican or Democrat. I'm not one that's just going to go straight down the, the ballot and go straight red or straight blue. I'm going to try to pick this, the candidate that I feel personally because it's my vote. Um, that represents the things that are important to me. And uh, uh, having that experience at the University of Florida, being able to control, you know, a nine and a half million dollar budget for over 500 sports clubs and school organizations, along with helping make sure that we have the best damn Gator Brow, the best concerts, the best speakers, um, and uh, to use those activity and service fees to the max, instead of having it being one dimensional and only one, certain subset of students really get to take advantage of the monies that are available to their spending and their tuition. I wanted it to be universal. I wanted people from the Indian culture, the Hispanic culture, um, African-American, whites, you know, Chinese, etc., to all have something that they could celebrate, whether it was during their respective heritage months or um, just throughout the year uh, through their clubs, uh, be able to have money to uh, help the students that they're trying to reach in their demographic um, feel like they're a part of the, the university experience. So then you go on to become a professional wrestler in the late 2000s, became a WWE superstar. What was the motivation for that? Did, did Is that something you ever thought you'd do? How'd you, how'd you get started down that path? I watched it as a kid. Uh, I never thought in a million years that I'd be doing it. Uh, one of my best friends is a, a WWE, great. Um, now he's a movie star. It's Dave Batista. Um, and uh, he used to talk to me about maybe giving it a try. And I was always like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, it's not for me. Um, and I was driving one day in South Tampa and, you know, I had a taste for some jerk chicken. And there was a place called The Jerk Hut off of Gandhi and and uh, and Dale Mabry. And right, he had told me where the training center was at that time. Uh the training center was in Tampa and uh, I was driving by and I picked up the phone. I said, is this the place that you were trying to get me to come and check out? And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to think I'm going to poke my head in the back door and see what it's about. And he said, yeah, I asked for Dusty Rhodes or Steve Kern. And I said, Dusty Rhodes. And he's like, yeah, Dusty, you know, helps out a lot there and, and uh, with the promos and stuff like that and development of talent. And so I put my head in the back door and literally two weeks after I put my head in the back door, I was learning how to become a WWE superstar, bumping in the ring um, 
and right at that moment I realized I probably signed up for probably the hardest thing that I could ever sign up for it's not just the physical aspect of it it's just to travel it you know upwards of 300 days a year you're in a different city or country four or five nights a week um sometimes you know you're on tours overseas for you know two or three weeks um and it's it's very demanding you know um but it's also probably one of the funnest rides I've experienced my entire life. I've seen the world two times over and uh, there's no, you know, um, world wonder that I haven't seen. There's not one cuisine that I haven't tasted. There's not one culture that I haven't experienced. And uh, I think because of those things, um, I can be better served to be a vessel for good in the community because I've seen not just the American way, I've seen people from all walks of life. And when you step outside of America, you realize that we got a lot more issues than a lot of other people. And we don't want to admit it because of our pride in the country. But the reality of it is, is that we, you know, we talk crap about a lot of other countries, yet they don't have the issues that we have here, you know. I go to Saudi Arabia and there's no homelessness there. There's no homelessness in Japan. There's no homelessness in China. Uh, yet every time I turn around, there's something stereotypical being said about those cultures. Um, and uh, there's no mass shootings, you know. Um, they're not last in education. You know, it's, uh, I mean, Saudi Arabia is the only, probably one of the only countries aside from Qatar that's not in debt. You know, they have a $180 million surplus every third quarter or $80 billion surplus every third quarter. Uh, so while we're, as Americans, we're printing our own money and going further and further in debt by the trillions, you know, there are other cultures that are managed to find a way to not only utilize their government assets to help their own um, and build their own, but also to also keep crime down. Um, and uh, I don't agree with everything that goes on in some of these countries um, because I do have certain freedoms here that I wouldn't have over there. Uh, but I feel safer there um, than I do in some places in America. And as a black man, that's, you know, that, that's a reality that I have to, you know, tell my kids, uh, you know, when they ask me how was the trip, this and that, you know, how are the people there, et cetera. And, uh, you know, my goal is to try to make, you know, things safer and better for people at my, in my own home area. So you do that by partnering with law enforcement. And when everybody else is saying defund the police, I'm saying, no, you need to fund them more or either give them more resources to get mental health counselors to do jobs that, you know, they're not qualified to do. Clearly, it's like asking a teacher to go and fix a car. They're not certified to teach, you know, be a mechanic. They're certified to teach students and teach subjects in school that uh, apply to their certification. So um, I can go on and on about, you know, well, why. Let's, let's, let's talk about your philanthropy that you, you just touched on that. Yeah. Giving back is obviously a passion for you, especially in your hometown Tampa area. Tell us about some of your most meaningful work there and how it's impacted not only the people you're helping, but how it's impacted your own life. Um, just working with young people in general. Um, I think over the last 10 years, uh, I've helped put close to 400 kids in college. You know, um, 
out of those 400, like 85 to 90 percent are college graduates. You know, we have about 17 kids in the NFL right now that I met at 12 years old and now living out their dreams in the NFL. Um, I have a school, public school, that was renamed after me here, um, Slide Middle Magnet School, uh, because of my devotion and, and, and uh, dedication to helping serve not only students in, of that school, but my partnership with the Hillsborough County School District and being able to move and help kids and teachers all throughout the county. Um, I have an annual back to school bash that I started five years ago with Tampa Bay Buccaneers being one of our, our key partners and Advent Health. Um, and we serve over 30,000 families uh, with backpacks, school supplies, uh, physicals, haircuts, eye exams. They get a brand new pair of eyeglasses right off the hills of their eye exam, dental screenings, dental cleanings, and then they can do follow up appointments with those respective uh, resources. Um, if needed. So all the things that I didn't have as a kid, you know, I try to make sure that I can have the right partners and the right people in place to help provide those things to these, these, these kids that are in need. That's, that's great stuff. I mean, that's, that's just so, so impressive. Let me, uh, on a lighter note, I got to ask you, where did the name Titus O'Neill come from? I mean, I, I grew up, it was Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper, the Iron Sheik, uh, the Undertaker, you know, Titus O'Neil kind of sounds like a normal name. Where, where, where's, where did that come from? So I took my youngest son's name, which is Titus, okay. and used my oldest son's name, which is Static, my real name, uh, for IP purposes with WWE. And uh, I took Shaquille O'Neal's last name. It was supposed to be O-N-E-A-L, but I think Vince McMahon wanted to make me Irish, so it's O-N-E-I-L. Um, but I wanted uh, Shaquille O'Neal was one of my favorite athletes um, and one of my favorite people still is to this day, just not because he was a dominant basketball player. But, you know, when I was in high school um, and in college, like Shaq did movies, he did uh, television, he did music, he had a rap album, he had endorsement after endorsement after endorsement. So I said, I kind of want to be know more, you know, less about my wrestling and, and more about being a complete WWE superstar. Professional wrestling is not even, um, I mean, Vince McMahon doesn't even call us professional wrestlers. He calls us superstars simply because we're doing more than just wrestling in a ring. We're going on a, a ESPY award, red carpets. We are at award shows. We're hosting award shows, you know. Um, we are uh, doing media tours, we we are in movies, we are on television sitcoms, we're doing everything, you know? So when you really look at like what this platform gives you with WWE and the opportunities that could arise from it, you know, you look at that and for me, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I can be like the Shaquille O'Neal of the WWE where, you know, one minute I might be in the ring, the next minute I might be on a red carpet at the ESPYs or, you know, I never would have imagined that I would be a, a two-time finalist for humanitarian award for the ESPN humanitarian award. Um, Muhammad Ali is one of my favorite human beings of all time. And I try to really pattern um, what I do for people on his morals and convictions. Um, and in his way, you know, he's very, he was very unapologetic about, his faith. He was very unapologetic about, you know, what he believed people should and shouldn't be doing. And he's very unapologetic about his skill set, you know, and he was very entertaining. And uh, you could look at interview after interview after interview, and he was always a kind man. Um, 
but he would tell you about yourself if he needed to. And uh, he would tell you about himself if he wanted, if he needed to. But it was all part of his show. Um, he was very confident, not arrogant. Um, and he was very humble. You could tell humble people because, you know, when, when you see him in interviews, he's, uh, he, can, he can articulate um, why it is that he became Muhammad Ali from Cassius Clay and how it came about. And it's true to this day. Like, if you look at most athletes, like every in football, every offensive lineman puts on the same pads, same shoulder pads, et cetera. Every, you know, defensive lineman does the same. Not often do you really see those people outside of their uniform in commercials and everything else because the league identifies, all right, these are our stars, okay? Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, uh, you know, Russell Wilson, et cetera, this and that. These are our stars. And that's who they market the most. Well, those people are also going to get more endorsements and more opportunities based on the fact that they've been chosen as the marketable folks. Now, they could easily mess that up, you know, by going out and doing something stupid or saying something stupid on social media these days. Uh, you can get canceled real quick. Uh, but Muhammad Ali, like, he, he knew who he was, and he encouraged and inspired other people to be who they are. And that's what I try to do on a consistent basis um, is inspire and, and hopefully motivate people to be the very best versions of themselves. Well, last last subject, this this podcast is called Bowl Season Stories. And obviously at Florida, you got the chance to experience some some great bowl games, two citrus bowls, an orange bowl, a sugar bowl. So you 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 know firsthand what finishing a successful season with a bowl trip is like, you know, that, that trip kind of like going on vacation with all your closest friends and playing a football game at the end with all you've done in your life, where do the memories made on those bowl trips fit in and what moments, if any, do you remember specifically about those trips? Um, obviously, you know, playing in the orange bowl and, and winning that and then sugar bowl, um, actually my first year at Florida, we won a national championship. I had to sit out that year. Uh, as a red shirt, but still, you know, had an opportunity. So, um, you know, winning, that, I mean, I was just at that stadium, you know, uh, Monday and uh, for the Saints Ravens game. It's one of my favorite, actually my favorite venues of every sport venue because I have so many memories there. Like the very first Super Bowl that I ever went to was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in New Orleans. The very first national championship game I, you know, went to was the one I you know, was there with the University of Florida. Um, we, and we still, to this day, have the highest point total um, of uh, difference of score, uh, 52 to 20. And we got a chance to beat, you know, our hated rivals, Florida State, uh, like a drum after losing to them by three points in the regular season. Um, my first big moment in the WWE, as far as being on the WrestleMania stage, was in New Orleans. And uh, so I... I uh, Bowl season wise for me, you know, I'll definitely say the Sugar Bowl is one of my favorite, you know, of all, you know, of all time, just because being able to go to New Orleans and experience that away from the Mardi Gras season, but seems like Mardi Gras season because everybody is uh, pretty much doing the same thing, drinking and getting ready to have a good time and partying. Uh, but it's really centered around the two teams that are playing in that bowl game and, uh, and being able to experience that with your teammates and your coaches and people that you've worked hard with throughout the year and throughout the off season 
and the bowl gifts were always amazing. And so uh, um, I know that these kids in college now, um, you know, especially the ones that come to Florida, you know, we have two bowl games here in Tampa, one which is the Gasparilla Bowl that I have, an have had an opportunity to be closely tied to and help kind of uh, make it more than just a, again, about a game, you know, about a game that it's a bowl that gives back. And we try to make sure that we can get as many people in the stands as possible, but also to have these players that are coming from these respective teams be involved in the community and doing something that can leave a lasting legacy. You know, at WWE, we talk about putting smiles on people's faces. Uh, and these kids that are, you know, college athletes, a lot of them share some of the same stories that they, or worse, uh, of the kids and the people in the community that are going to impact through their, uh, their their social justice reform or whether it's uh, going out and feeding the homeless or preparing food boxes or whatever. I think the bowl game is a wonderful opportunity to kind of bring people back to where they came from in the sense of giving back. And, uh, you know, with the Gasparilla Bowl, we've had a chance to do some really amazing things. Uh, Scott Glazier and his team, Jennifer, are, you know, two great individuals that are from born and raised. I mean, Scott's from Tampa, you know, he's a USF bull and through and through and, um, you know, for him to have a chance, I think, to lead a, a bowl game, you know, for ESPN uh, in his hometown is pretty cool. And I think it's uh, stressful uh, at times, but also, too, it's got to be very gratifying knowing that you have an opportunity and a platform to put something back into your community and put a great product on the field. You can't control what teams end up playing in the game, but you can control the experience that both of them have and then hopefully uh, be able to control the experience that the fans have. No, no doubt about it. The uh, bright days ahead for the Gasparilla Bowl. That, that game keeps growing and, and Scott does an amazing job. Well, Thad, we, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, you know, I see you uh, at games. I'm going to see you at the Gasparilla Bowl in a few weeks and, and you're, you're always, uh, you always got a smile on your face. Uh, even though you have an imposing demeanor in general, you're always, uh, you know, seem happy to see me and your pleasure to be around. I always had a lot of respect for you, but in the last 20 minutes, I learned uh, a lot of things about you. I didn't know. And uh, you're truly an amazing man. Uh, I, we really uh, appreciate everything you do, not just for the game of college football and for bowl games, but what you do for people in general. So thank you on behalf of everybody. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for uh, giving me some time on your platform. Of course, of course. We're going to take a short break and be right back with Quick Lane Bowl Executive Director Brad Michaels. Stay with us. The forecast for this tax season, it's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Welcome back to the show. Our final guest is brought to you by Tappet. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. We now welcome to the show the executive director of the Quick Lane Bowl, Brad Michaels. Brad, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, you've been with the Detroit Lions since 2007 and were part of the creation of the Quick Lane Bowl in 2014 in conjunction with the Big Ten and the ACC. Tell us about how the Quick Lane Bowl came to be a reality and the challenges you faced early on in getting it going. Sure. So early on, we had to convince the conferences that we, we knew what we were doing when it came to football. Um, so we kind of showcased how easy it is to get to Detroit or centralized location, especially when it came to the Big Ten and um, ACC conferences at that, at that time. 
once we got them on board, we did our due diligence. We actually visited a couple other bowl games to kind of get the lay of the land. Uh, before that, when we were hosting, you know, the Motor City Bowl, the Pizza Bowl, and all that, we acted as the venue that was just hosting those games. We didn't handle all the events outside of these walls. So we, we totally knew what we were doing when it came to football and the event inside, but we wanted to learn more about what happens at the, ho the team hotels, the team events, the travel party events, and things like that. So that was our main thing that we wanted to learn about. So we actually, since we have a couple um, universities that are in our backyard, Michigan, Michigan State, a couple of Mac schools, Eastern, Western, Central, we made a point to visit uh, the, the opposing teams that were coming in as well um, and, and pick their brain, what they like about their bowl game experiences, what they didn't like, uh, just to, so we knew what we were doing. And then um, that got us a better understanding operationally what we were doing. And then once we got quickly on board, uh, we only had four months to, to execute everything for the game. So it was a, a really big scramble. Just, you know, think about it. All of our, our apparel, the, the quickly and bowl logo on everything you're wearing, our website, the signage around the stadium, everything had to get activated in that short time frame. So um, the first year was definitely a, a great experience once we got through it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of detail. You touched on a few, a lot of details behind the scenes. People don't realize when they turn the TV on for three hours in December, uh, those games don't just happen out of nowhere. Sure. A uh, couple of questions in one here. Uh, how does the Detroit Lions affiliation with the bowl help with synergy and promotion, sponsorship, overall awareness, and then and then playing the game in, in, at Ford Field? How do the teams react to that uh, playing in an NFL stadium? So what I've learned is we're very fortunate because we have a lot of resources already in place that we can lean on, you know, to help us sell tickets. We already have a huge database that we can utilize. Our, our marketing team, they already have the infrastructure in place. Our partnership team, we already have those connections built that we can lean on. So things like that are, uh, we kind of take for granted. Uh, in addition to when, when the team comes here, they load into our locker room and then they can leave their stuff there all week. We have laundry services provided. They, they get to practice at a state-of-the-art NFL facility. Um, all that stuff kind of comes with it and, and they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to, we don't have to coordinate logistics going off site or things like that. Uh, so that's, that's very helpful from that regard. And then, you know, the experience the teams get watching them come in is always great to see. They come in, they get to check out the locker rooms. They, they come down on the field. They're always taking pictures right away. They, you know, a lot of them don't get an opportunity to attend NFL games. And there's been, um, two of the years that we've hosted where, where we've had a home lions game lineup a day or two ahead of time and we've hosted the teams there. So that's always been cool to, to incorporate that aspect into it because a lot of other bowl games can't do that. What are the main challenges to hosting a bowl game in a cold winter market? So honestly, it's, it's not as bad as most people probably think because we're indoors and we know we can always guarantee it's going to be 72 degrees. You won't have to deal with snow or ice or rain once kickoff happens. Uh, but the thing that, that I did learn is, um, we got to embrace that. So, you know, we're, we're usually the day after Christmas, like we are this year. Uh, we, we host the travel parties, ice skating. We, we embrace the cold. And, you know, some of these teams we've had in the past, they, they've never even seen snow before. You know, they're, they're coming from across the country. They come in, their equipment guys are like wearing T-shirts and shorts and it's snowing outside. And, and they're looking forward to seeing snow on the ground. It kind of gets them in the holiday spirit. Uh, so we, we kind of just have made a tradition around it. And, and our fans have really bought into that aspect, too. You know, they open Christmas gifts on, on Christmas, and then the next day, it's just a, a family tradition. They come down, regardless who's playing, they want to attend the Quicklin Bowl each year. Yeah, I think that's something, uh, 
you see across a lot of bowls, you know, every, every bowl is different. They're in unique locations and, um, embrace who you are, where you're located and what's unique about your area. And I think that always makes for a great experience for the, for the teams when they come. Um, sure. Tell me what, what strides have you and your staff made over the years to make the quick lane bowl a success in the Detroit area? Does your, what is your, you feel your community's embracing the event? Definitely. Yeah. So we've, the, the thing that we've really tried to hammer across, I kind of mentioned earlier, but um, we want we want fans to be able to come to our game regardless who the matchup is. Just make a tradition out of it. So so early on, even though we treat this as another Lions home game, um, we've we've really established our motto is it's more than a game. So we have a bunch of other stuff going on around the game. Uh, when we open up doors, we have live music going on. You can sing karaoke for a chance to get um, food and beverage credit. We have um, foaling, which I haven't touched on yet. Foaling is one of the team events that we we take the teams at. And it was a, a game that was created not too far outside of Detroit. And it's where you throw footballs at bowling pins. And, and the object is you got to knock down their bowling pins before they knock down yours. And we give the fans an opportunity to do that on the concourse before our game. And then the the two um, fans that do the best from each, each side, they get to compete on the field in game. So we have a little fun with it there. And then um, even when we bring the teams there, you would think that the quarterbacks would like it the best, but it's actually the big offensive linemen that seem to enjoy it the most because they're trying to just thrive in something that they never get a chance to do. <laughs> you know, it gives them a chance to to throw some haymakers in there, try and try and throw some dimes. Uh, so that's, you know, it, it's fun to be able to showcase those things and kind of trying to think outside of the box on like what, what can make us more unique and, and give the student athletes a, a great experience in addition to the fans that, that attend the games. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've, I've never heard that foaling. You'll have, have, have to try that. You it sounds like you could set that up anywhere, really. Sure. But I want I want you to talk about your staff a little bit. I, I know you I know you uh, you love your staff. Many of them draw double duty with the Lions. How do you balance the overall effort between uh, running an NFL, you know, uh, football operations, game day, et cetera, with trying to squeeze a bowl game in there? Well, the the easy way to convince staff to help out with Quicklane Bowl is you give them swag, and then they're going to do anything that you want if you give them some extra Quicklane Bowl swag. But um, honestly, time management is the biggest thing because there's a lot of a lot of different things. You know, we're we're hosting concerts and other sporting events year round, so you got to balance all that stuff going on in addition to the bowl game responsibilities. So we we set time, you know, a couple of times each week. We're meeting um, specifically on the Quicklane Bowl to make sure that we're we're staying on track keeping everyone engaged in the quick lane bowl. And then um, you got to communication is also one of the things that we, we um, thrive on. You got to keep everyone updated on what's going on around the bowl game. So nothing gets missed. And with us logging so many hours here, you want to make sure that everyone's having fun doing it. So we're always making sure that we're having fun, um, especially around the holidays, you know, it's Christmas, Christmas Eve days that you're working when a lot of people are, are off work. Um, You got to definitely embrace it and, and make sure you're having fun while you're doing all the work. Well, Brad, we've taken enough of your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Really excited for, for this coming bowl season in general, but for the Quick Lane Bowl, uh, good luck to you, and, and thanks again. Thanks, Nick. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.